Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. So this week's sermon is titled, Attack of the Heart. So we're going to be talking about the heart a lot. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And we're going to start at verse 11. You can go in your Bibles or you can look on the screen behind me. When you're there, say amen so I can get started. Yeah, we all there? That seemed like 75%. All right. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations." Say that five times fast. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. And much like Zedekiah and Judah during these years, we often have hardened hearts. That's the first point, hardened hearts. And even now in the face of this disaster, everything that they're about to go through as a nation, they still chose to disobey God because their hearts were hard. And just hearing that, God just highlighted that to me as I was reading this and studying and praying that Zedekiah's heart was hard. And I was wondering, what does that mean? Because initially, when I hear your heart's hard, like I just think of a Scrooge-like character. It's almost Christmas, right? Can I bring that up? Is that okay? So you're just like bah humbug at everything. You don't like comedy. You don't like jokes. You just always have that grumpy face. You know what I'm talking about? And so that's what I thought, man, maybe Zedekiah was just a mean mugging dude like he's just not a good looking guy but as I prayed about it and continue to study it biblically having a hard heart means something quite different having a hard heart means that you're stubborn and blinded to see the truth that's what it means to have a hard heart and not only are you blinded but someone who has a hard heart does not feel convicted of their sin not even a little bit And by saying this, by having a hard heart, it's an intentional state of living. It's not something that that just happens on you. It's you choose to have a hardened heart. You have a say in the matter. And people with this condition live for themselves. They really don't feel guilty too often. They become their own accountability partner. And so having a hard heart, the harder it gets, you lose sensitivity to God's word and God's spirit. So when you're reading your word, when you hear the gospel or something, it doesn't really hit you that way because you are constantly abandoning God, constantly turning your back on him. And so people with hard hearts, instead of having connection with their creator, they isolate themselves from him and choose to do what they think is best in their eyes. Sound familiar? Sound like Judah and Israel? Maybe yourself? We can be honest, right? Let's be transparent this morning. And you know people who have hard hearts because they love excuses. Man, they love to make excuses. They, I mean, when something's happened and there's, I'm not wrong, you're wrong. I didn't mess up, you messed up. 
They can never take the blame for themselves, rarely. And everyone else is the bad guy, not for me. And they make an excuse for their sin or their shortcomings with God. There's always an excuse. Which, for example, it's pretty funny because I've met people that they're like, you know what, I just don't have time to read my Bible. I really don't have time to set aside to pray. I just, you know, I'm just so busy, but I can Netflix for an hour a day. (laughs) At least. And man, man, time goes by so fast. Like, really? Because praying for five minutes straight seems to kill you. Maybe your heart's not in the right place, man. Change your priorities. And that's just, maybe that's you, maybe not. But instead of a full surrender to God, they justify themselves in their own minds and to other people. Justify to other people. It's not good enough you tell yourself, but hey, by the man, I'm just really busy. I just can't, I can't do this. I can't serve God in this capacity. And people can have hard hearts also and turn their backs on God, especially if they feel that God has failed them in an area of their life, a situation in their life. And Pastor Matt talked about this last week that we like that instant gratification. We like when we pray for something, boom, it's done. I got a headache. I pray. Headache's gone. Oh, that was amazing. I just saw a guy. He's amputee. I pray for him. Leg pops out. Like something. We want that instant gratification, right? Maybe that's not how you pray. That's, how, that's what I like. I like when I pray to God that I know right then in that moment it can happen. But it doesn't always happen, right? And we prayed for things that, that were like, God, I want this, but he doesn't give you what you want. And I've said it before, God is not this genie in the sky that you rub the lamp and pray to and then he grants your wishes. It's something deeper than that. He is in control and he sees the big picture. So when God allows a loved one to die or sickness to linger, the bills to pile up, a promotion to be denied, guess what? He's still in control. But you have that option to intentionally turn your back on God. And it can be so easy for a person just to quit trusting God and harden their heart toward him because of something that hasn't happened that they thought was going to happen. And really, humanly speaking, we can kind of relate, right? Like you pray for something or you've noticed someone praying for something and and they're serving God or whatever and they're praying for this issue and they've been praying for this issue and then it doesn't happen and God doesn't answer it. And you're like, man, that just stinks. God, why didn't you come through? And for that person, they can almost feel abandoned. I don't know if you've ever prayed for something and it hasn't come through. And maybe at sometimes you feel like God is abandoning you. Am I the only one? So since that happens, it can be really easy for us to say, God, you weren't there for me then. I don't trust you now. And I don't trust you in the future. And you intentionally start hardening your heart towards God. And Jesus talked about these type of people. He talked about it in a parable of the farmer scattering seed. And these type of people were the ones that you scatter the seed and they fall on rocky soil. And the purpose of the parable, what he told his disciples is, these are the people that when they initially hear about Jesus, they initially hear about the gospel, the word of God, they immediately receive it with joy. Yes, Jesus does love me. Oh my goodness, he is awesome. I'm living for you. But at the first sign of trouble, in persecution, or when God doesn't answer, they turn their back on God. Why? How does this happen? How can we not have this happen to us? It's because you have to have deep roots in your faith. You've got to know who God is and know your identity in him. And like Habakkuk and Jeremiah that we've been studying, despite their problems, despite their persecution, and if you read through the book of Jeremiah, the dude was beat. 
He's thrown in a cistern like he did not have a good life. Yet he still trusted God despite what happened. They did not allow their situation to determine their faith. Do we do that as a church? Do we let our situations dictate our faith sometimes? I have. Maybe not. Maybe you're holy and super awesome all the time. But I've allowed my situations at times to affect my walk with God, which is wrong. Because if we base our intimacy with Jesus on just feelings or emotions or situations, you're going to find yourself in a dilemma. Because it's not always going to go the way you want it to go. Life doesn't always go the way you want it. And so Jesus wants us to trust him. And when terrible situations arise in our life, to trust him even more. Even more. When you don't see it happening. When you don't see God working. He's still working. But we, he's asking us to trust him more. And the question that we have to answer this morning is, do we have a hard heart? It's something you have to check yourself on. I don't know where you stand with God. But you know, hopefully, maybe the Holy Spirit's highlighting right now some areas in your life. And this is some way you can check. Because it can be so easy to think that you're okay in your walk with God. But yet when any issues come up, you start stumbling in your faith. Or maybe that when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and trying to grow you and mature you or push you or challenge you in a certain situation, you're like, Lord, this is not a good time for me right now. Like, uh, I'm really busy with things. Like, I don't really want to grow in this area. I don't want to grow in my giving. I don't want to read more of your word. This is just maybe next month, Lord. Maybe next month we can, let's try this again. Talk to me in a month. And by that, you're silencing the Holy Spirit. Or maybe it's some sin that you have in your life that you continue to do, whatever it is. And the Holy Spirit's like, this is wrong. You need to cut this out of your life. It is cancerous. And you're like, it's okay. I'll handle it later. I've got a lot on my plate. I really need this vice. This gets me through the day, man. That's a way that we can have hard hearts. And so you can think you're serving God, but at the core of your being, it's stone. Is it possible to think that you're serving God and you're living for God, but yet you are so far from him? Yes, it is. If you look at this was the problem with the religious leaders in Jesus' day. I mean, these guys, they, they read the word, they read the scriptures, they studied, they were so religious in all their rituals and everything they did, yet when the word became flesh and was among them, they couldn't even recognize him. When he performed miracles, instead of believing that he was the son of God, that it pointed to him as the Messiah, they claimed, your power is from the devil. Their hearts were so hard to believe that God would do this, that they said, you are from the devil. So outward activity without an inner desire to serve God is not true love and devotion. It's not all about the stuff you do outside it, what happens in your heart. That's where the reality of your faith can begin. And so can we find ourselves so zealous for God that we forget who he really is? Another example, you have Saul, who later became Paul. He went around persecuting the church, and this guy, he claimed he was a Jew of Jews. He knew the scriptures, and yet he thought he was doing God a favor. I'm going to cut all these people out. How dare they blaspheme your name and believe in Jesus? And he thought he was doing God a favor. But yet his heart was far from God. And it wasn't until he came face to face with Jesus that he saw the reality of his sin and his heart's condition. That's the key. We have to daily come face to face with Jesus to be continually transformed. 
It's not a matter of, I prayed one time and God helped me with this issue and now it's done and it's gone and, and you're never going to pray again or you're never going to ask Jesus to help you. It's that constant. That's where you grow. You have to come face to face with Jesus because when you do that, it's hard to make excuses when you're really spending time with him. It's hard to justify your sin, to justify your shortcomings with God when you are face to face with the creator of everything. I mean, and this just blows my mind to think when I pray to God, when I come face to face with him, I am talking to the creator of everything. The one who created everything just by his words, the one who sustains everything. And I can talk to him like this. And a lot of times I come to him with just my woes. Like, oh, God, all right, you let me down, man. But it's all right. I still like, who do I think I am? Who do we think we are coming to God that way? We have to understand where he stands, and he's got to be top priority of your life. And so when we realize that God is loving us and he's attacking our hearts, it's because he wants to chisel off the stone in your life. He wants to chisel off that sin in your life. He wants to cut that off because it's for your benefit. If you continue living the certain ways you're living, it's cancerous for you. It can damage your walk with him, and it can make your heart so hard that you just completely reject God altogether. And so we have to realize that God is trying to reveal our identity in him. Not what you get your identity in what you do, but in him alone. And we have to realize that we are sons and daughters that will live forever and are already victorious because of our faith in Jesus. Despite what's going around, you've already won, man. Your eternity's set if you have faith in Jesus and you're living for him and he's first in your life. And when we grasp this, we can go through the best and worst of times in our lives with hope in Jesus at the core of our being. So, where is your heart at? Do you find it easy for you to have evil intentions or to be greedy or to gossip or to have lustful thoughts or be full of pride? Is this something that you struggle with and it's constant? If so, then your heart is not lining up with God's heart. How do I know this? Because this is what Jesus talked about in Mark 7 when he said these things, these wicked things come out of the heart. It starts there. It starts at the core of your being. And if we don't allow Jesus to check our hearts, we can easily fall into the situation that Judah found themselves in here. Where they all became unfaithful and even though God had blessed them and saved them, they couldn't and wouldn't trust him. They couldn't do it. They wouldn't trust him. But thankfully though, when we make mistakes and we grow cold and stubborn, God still pursues us in love and mercy. Thank God, right? That even though when you mess up, because you're going to mess up and you're going to reject God, and you're not going to listen to him every second of every day, right? And so when you do that, God is still pursuing you and not immediately just wiping you out or turning to a pillar of salt. Old school reference, OT. Anyways, so thankfully God does pursue us in love and mercy. And so turn with me to the next few verses in 15 and 16. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. That's crazy. We can easily find ourselves grieving God. And just that last phrase, until there was no remedy, 
did that scare anybody else other than me? Like that, when I read that, I was like, really? Could I find myself in such a place on the side of God's wrath and his discipline that there is no remedy for me? Could I find myself like Judah? I mean, Judah was God's chosen people, right? That's where the lineage, that's where the messianic lineage was coming from. That's where Jesus was coming from. And yet even Judah was going to have to be in a place where there was no remedy. Could I go through that? Could any of us go through that? Yeah. The simple answer is yes. And it's kind of scary, but you got to think about it. How long had God been faithful to his people? How much grace did he persistently extend? I mean, how many centuries has he been sustaining Israel? He blessed them, made a covet with them, called them his treasure, and yet this is how they act. I mean, they were his people, and he loved them so much, he didn't want to just wipe them out. That's why he's constantly pursuing them, constantly loving them, giving them a chance after chance after chance, and he'd been sending them prophet after prophet, and it seems like the more they repented, the faster and deeper they dove back into sin. They'd get rescued and then be twice as sinful as before. And so you got to think from God's perspective, like that hurt him. And when we live contrary to what he calls us, it grieves him. It makes him feel intense sorrow. And so you think you've been hurt before, or you've been betrayed, or cheated on, or thrown aside like a dog. Has anyone had those experiences in their life where you felt that way? That you were just like, really? Well, guess what? God has too, and he feels it a lot deeper than you have. And it's happened a lot more times to him than it has to you. So when we choose to ignore God, and when we squander the blessings he gives us, or we continue to live in sin, we grieve him. Read Ephesians 4. It talks all about grieving the Holy Spirit and all the things that can grieve God. We cause him intense sorrow, and it hurts him the closer you get to him, but you still choose to obey. For example, the closer you get to people, the deeper the joys and the sorrows are. Does anyone relate to that? When you're really close to someone? So for me, I tend, I'm going to be transparent for a second, okay? So don't judge me harshly. I tend to believe that I have thick skin when it comes to people criticizing me or whatever else. I tend to believe this. Maybe I don't. Maybe I don't. But I believe I do. And so because of this, I have always kept my trust circle small, and I'm careful about whose opinions affect me. And maybe this is probably not the way you should live. I don't know. But it's how I live, right? So I'm being transparent, like I said. So if someone I don't really know gives me a compliment or criticizes me, I take it with a grain of salt. Like, oh, yeah, thanks. Or, oh, okay, I suck. Okay, that's great. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. That was very kind of you. And just try to blow it off the best I can. But the people who can really affect me are the ones closest to me. Like, it was funny because before we came here, um, I preached at several different churches, right? We are raising funds to get here. And I remember I was very, very new at preaching. And so I would get up, and I would have my scriptures, and I'm all over the place, man. And I'm talking about this, and then I jump to this, and then I jump into a testimony. I'm all over, like, scatterbrained, and I'm like... And then I get a hand clap at the end. I'm like, yeah, I rocked it, bro. That was great. And then I go to, and then people are like, oh, the great message, young man, you know. And I'm like, yeah, it was, wasn't it? But then I go to my wife, and I'm like, how was that? She's like, well, you were over here, you over there. Probably shouldn't say that behind the pulpit. 
don't say that way, don't do that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Thought I did great. But I could trust her because I'm close to her. And I know she wants the best for me. And we have made a covenant. I have promised to be there for her forever. And she has promised the same. So we know that when we do those things, it's for our benefit. And if she hurts me intentionally, it hurts me deeper than if you would say something against me or or, or be mean to me, right? And when she appreciates me, it means something more because she really knows who I am. So in the context of these scriptures, God had promised to be there for Judah. And Judah originally had promised to be there for God. It was a covenant. God was going to bless them, was going to love them, to make sure they're safe. And Judah was going to say, hey, you are my only God, and I love you, and we praise your name only. Yet, they constantly rejected God, and they blasphemed his name, his commandments, and chose to reject him altogether. Altogether. And that's got to hurt God, right? Think about your spouse or who you're really close with. They constantly, intentionally are just being mean to you or talking down to you or putting you down. Like, that hurts, right? That, that crushes you. And so when we live like this, we choose to attack God's heart. Because like I said, when God attacks our heart, it's for our benefit, right? He's doing spiritual surgery with this spiritual scalpel and just cutting things off and helping us out. But when we live contrary to his word, it's like we're taking the scalpel and just jamming it into his heart, not appreciating anything he's done for us, but constantly attacking him. And I think that's crazy that we even have that power to do that, right? Think of God who's above everything else. He would allow his creation to affect him in such that way. But it's because he gives us free will. He allows us to choose. He wants us to love him. He wants us to have that relationship with him. But you can make the choice to not. And that grieves him. That hurts him. Because you don't choose to love him. You don't choose to have intimacy with him. And God has compassion on every single person still, whether they reject him or not. And you will never see anyone that God doesn't love and who he hasn't sent his son to die for. But yet this God who is rich in mercy and love is also rich in justice. And he has to punish sin and disobedience. He's got to do it. And that's something that we do not like to hear. And what's crazy, I think, about Judah just studying this is they're, they're being forewarned about this captivity of what's going to happen to him. It's going to be terrible. And yet they saw Israel go through this, right? Do you remember? Like a couple chapters ago that Israel was like, hey, um, God's come to them with prophets and everything. Hey, you're messing up. You're rejecting me. You're going to be taken into captivity if you don't listen. They're like, ah, oh, we don't care, whatever. And then end up being taken over by Assyria. And now Judah, who's seen this, and the same thing's happening to them, they're like, nah, nah, not me, not us. We're the tribe of Judah. Do you know who we are? You think they thought of themselves special? Do we think at times ourselves special? That we are above God's discipline? We are above correction? I wonder... Because we can, we can be like, God, I trust you with so much of my life. I tithe and I volunteer. I greet once a month like a boss, right? I'm, I'm, I'm there for you. I go to church when I'm supposed to sometimes. Are you really going to punish me for my little sin? Are you really going to challenge me in this small area of my life when I give you so much, Lord? I'm giving you 80%. That's good. 
Isn't that worth it? And you start comparing your walk with other people's walk. Be like, God, I do way more than that guy. That dude doesn't even tithe. I tithe. Yep, I don't give extra, but I tithe, Lord. And so you think you're doing God a favor, and, and you can fall into this trap thinking that you don't need his discipline because he has most of your heart or he has most of your mind. So he's not going to worry about the stuff that you won't give him, the stuff you won't talk to him about. Because like, God, I give you this, but this area, this is mine. I am in control of this. You don't touch it. Don't tell me how to live this part of my life. Don't challenge me in this area. This is all me. And you think you're okay because 80% of you is given to God, yet that 20%, don't touch it, Lord. Holy Spirit, don't you dare convict me in this. And the problem with that theology is that God wants all of your heart. He wants all of your mind. He wants all of your life. Amen? Someone say amen. Y'all are so quiet today. And if we live contrary to his word and refuse to trust him, even if it's a little area of your life, you grieve God. You grieve the one who gave you life in the first place. And you intentionally attack the heart that bore your sin and punishment on the cross. Swallow that pill for a second. When you choose to not give God all of you, it's just... It's ridiculous because God wants all of you and he wants to bless you and he wants to help you. And you think by holding this back, you are somehow helping your walk with God. And maybe even it's a shameful thing. I don't want to even bring this up. I don't want to talk about this or expose it because I've kept it in the dark for so long that this is how I live. When God, God promises that stuff's going to come to light. And you can choose to bring that and let God help you in your life. And so not turning away from your sin and failing to trust God can lead you to punishment that you bring upon yourself, much like what happened to Judah in these next few verses. Turn with me to verse 17, please. Or look on the screen. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, and this is Babylon, by the way, is another name for him, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. And here we see God's promises fulfilled. I mean, we've been talking about this, that the people wouldn't listen. They rejected him. And now everything that God promised was going to happen is unfolding right in front of their eyes. Much like it did to Israel, now it's happening to Judah. And you have this wicked nation come and just crush Judah. And you have the king at the time, Zedekiah of Judah. He tried to run away. He tried to run away, and instead he got caught. And so because he ran away, because he would not submit to God, he watched his sons be executed in front of him. And then if that's not bad enough, they gouged out homeboy's eyes and then led him off to Babylon. You think you've had a bad day. That's terrible. 
That's terrible, but it's because he rejected God. And Babylon came in without any mercy because they were the instruments of God's wrath. That's what they were there to do. They were there to crush Judah. But yet, as you read and you look deeper, these guys were not only forewarned, but God still allowed some grace and mercy for his people through this process. Because they had been told, if you would just submit to Babylon, if you would just surrender, you will be saved. You're not going to be killed. You're going to be taken into captivity, yes, but you won't have to die. You can go into that land, you can live, you can be prosperous. And I wonder, like, how crazy is that? Because Jeremiah went to Zedekiah, the king, and told him this beforehand. Like, listen, man, you've got to surrender. You've got, I know you think you're king and you're all high and mighty in your palace, but you've got to surrender or you're going to be wiped out and all of our people are going to be wiped out. But yet they still didn't listen. And I guess maybe they thought God was joking. Do we think that sometimes? That God's joking with us? That we can, we can allow ourselves to live in a certain way and God's not going to punish me. It's all good. It's all good. I don't have to deal with that. But the reality is he will. If he did it for them, he's going to do it for you. God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't play that game. And even with Judah, who his people, they, they're taken from the promised land that God gave them. He gave to Abraham, and then he led them out of Egypt through the wilderness and everything, and they got the promised land, and now they're being stripped of that. And now the land would rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. Which, this is the part of Scripture that you can kind of gloss over. And I kind of did initially, but then I wondered, why was that put in there? Because basically, Israel was supposed to farm the land for six years and let it rest for seven, or for one year, right? So that every seventh year, they would let the land rest because they're like, God's providing. He'll provide for you food to eat. Don't have to worry about it. And it was a trust thing. And yet they were not doing it. And yet God fulfills this, something that they couldn't do, Something that they refused to do, God came in and did it for them. How many things have you refused to do and pushed away and God has come in and still did it for you and still helped you out? God is that awesome to do that. And it is amazing how God cares about the little details. Not only in his promises and his commandments, but in our lives as well. Because God cares about the little things that we tend to push aside and not pay attention to. You ever notice that? We worry about all the big things, our job or this or that, or I don't have to deal with that. That's so small. But yet God cares about that stuff. He cares about it all. And even then, the land that people live on, he cared about it. And this was a promise. We're all the way here in Second Chronicles. This was a promise in Leviticus 26 about the land. A finute, fine print detail that God still fulfilled. He still fulfilled. Centuries and centuries went by, and God still fulfilled that. People were taking God for granted and his blessings for granted. And God promises, and whatever he promises, whatever he says will come to pass. And if we can recognize how faithful God is in fulfilling his promises in this way, then we can stand firm on his fulfilled promises today. That's awesome. Somebody say amen. That's fantastic. He promises, here's just a few. God promises to provide for you. 
I mean, Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. It's okay. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. That's God telling you, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you if you trust me. You've got to trust me. You've got to put me first. God also promises to answer us. In Psalms 37, he says, delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. If you're delighting in God, you're spending intimate time with God in his presence. He is going to give you what you're really desiring. And maybe you're not getting what you desire because it's not lining up with what God wants for you anyways. And so you spending time with God, you start to realize, oh, what I used to want, I don't want that anymore. I want this. I want something deeper. I want something more meaningful. And God promises to give us that. He promises to never leave us. Thank God promises never to leave me. I need him all the time. Hopefully you feel the same way. But in Psalms 23, talking about even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and like we talked about with Habakkuk, even though you go through those rough situations where there seems like there's no hope, you can be rest assured that God is right there beside you, walking through you, walking through the fire, walking through whatever the tribulation is, whatever the trial is, not leaving you as an orphan. He is always there for you. God promises to save us. In John, it says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And in Romans, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You will be saved. And so why I mention just a few of these promises, God has promised so many more things if we would just grasp onto it because we can see how he fulfilled his wrath and his judgment. He's going to fill his promises of blessings as well if we trust him and we continue to put him first. And our job is to put him first in everything that we do. All we have to do is trust him and serve him. It's really not that difficult, but we make it so complicated we make our walk with God just so strenuous and ridiculous and trying to fulfill all these do's and don'ts and everything else. And it's really not as, as difficult as you think. But we can't think for one second that God must constantly bless us and save us if we aren't trusting and following him. If you find yourself far from God, don't get upset when he doesn't answer your little prayer. Or when life isn't so easy for you. God, why aren't you? Well... You're not spending any time with me. You're not talking to me. You only come to me when you want something. Really? Has anyone ever tried that with your parents? Don't talk to them or whatever else, or, or, you're not, or you don't say please. You're not going to get it. It's the same thing with God. It's similar with God. We have to spend time with Him. And His grace is huge, and His mercy is amazing, but we can't find ourselves as individuals in a church rejecting the lifestyle he asks of us. And what is that? Well, he asks that you love him with all of your heart. Everything you got, you love God with. And if you can do that, you start realizing your identity in him of how much he loves you, how much he cares about you, that he sent Jesus for you. And if you start to grasp that, then when you love your neighbor as yourself, you can look at everyone and see their worth, see their identity, that God loves them too and cares about them and wants the best for them. And then it makes it easier because you look at people, oh, they're not just a jerk anymore. They're a jerk that's loved by God. That's awesome. And so your attitude, and maybe that's initially how it sounds, right? But then initially changes and your heart for them changes and you don't see them through those lenses anymore. You start seeing them through the eyes of Christ. 
who cares and loves for them, despite what they're doing, you still love them. You still are gracious towards them. You are still compassionate to them. And can we be a people that doesn't have to learn the hard way? Man, let's not learn the hard way. Let's not fall into the same trap that Judah fell into and Israel fell into. Can we move forward as a church that trusts God completely? Not just on an individual level, but as a corporate level as well. That we as our body of Christ, we trust God. That what God is challenging us with, what he's pushing us into this new season, that even if we don't like it and we're stressed out, that God is in control. God is going to provide. He's going to answer. He's going to bless us. And we're going to be an impact, a godly impact on the communities around us. Can we dive into believing that? That God will impact our community and our families through us simply because we choose to live out this gospel. Don't make it complicated. Trust God, love Him, love your neighbor as yourself. Can we do that as a church moving forward? No dissension. Like we've been praying and fasting for real unity. Real unity. That's what God is wanting from us. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.